Welcome again to the Sower's Almanac. We're so glad that you're listening. This is episode 10, um, where Joe Thorne stopped by the podcast to chat with me, which was awesome. It was great to talk to Joe. Um, Joe is a pastor and church planter. Um, He planted uh, Redeemer Fellowship in St. Charles, Illinois, where he now uh, pastors. They've been uh, around for about seven years. I think they're about seven years into their life as a church. Um, and Joe is our sending pastor. Uh, Redeemer Fellowship was our sending church. And so I know Joe really well. Um, love Joe. Joe is my, my pastor, my mentor, my friend. So it was great to have him on to talk. Um, he's also an author. He's the author of Note to Self, um, a, a book that's great and really talks about the art of preaching the gospel to, to yourself and, and the importance of doing that. Um, he's got another book coming out, which he talks about a little bit on the podcast, um, on the Trinity. Um, so be on the lookout for that. He's also a pretty well-known blogger. Um, that's how a number of you might uh, know Joe already. Um, you can find his blog at joethorn.net. Um, he's constantly posting you know, great stuff on there. But it was fantastic to have Joe on. He was a great guest. We talk about a lot of good stuff. So we hope you enjoy this episode. Um, I, I think that you guys will. Uh, again, just as a heads up, we ran into a few very minor technical issues in the middle of recording this. So if there's a few spots that you're like, what was that? That's probably what it was. Um, but nothing that we couldn't fix really easily in editing. Um, again, I apologize. Bear with us. We're working on fixing it. We will get that resolved as quickly as we possibly can. Uh, so thank you for your patience. Um, again, our website is ransomcitychurch.org. Go there to find out more about us as a church. Also, you can go there and click on the contact tab if you want to submit a question to us at Sower's Almanac. Some of you guys have already been submitting questions, which is great. We're looking forward to answering those questions as soon as we possibly can. Um, so again, thank you guys for listening. We really appreciate all of you. Thanks for subscribing. Thanks for spreading the word. Hope you guys enjoy episode 10 with Joe Thorne. Thank you guys for tuning in again. Welcome to the Sewers Almanac. Um, I'm Seth. I'm sitting here with uh, Joe Thorne. Uh, I'm excited to be talking to him. And uh, yeah, um, so Joe, tell us a little bit about your story. Like how, you know, how did you come to Christ and what did your calling to ministry look like? Things like that. Yeah, I was raised in a non-Christian home, but uh, but a very good home. Mom and dad loved each other. They were together. And um I didn't go to church. We didn't celebrate any religious holidays uh, outside of Christmas and Easter, but in a very secular way. So, you know, we had the Easter bunny and piles of toys, but uh, no Jesus, no resurrection, uh, nothing like that. In fact, uh, I never stepped foot in a church until I was 17. Uh, Right around that time, I met uh, a girl in the dean's office. She was there for helping. I was there for hurting people or something. And uh, while there, I struck up a conversation with her, thought she was cute, asked her to the movies. Uh, She said only with uh, other people. And uh, after the movie, I think it was Parenthood, that old uh, Steve Martin movie. I went and saw Parenthood, and uh, afterwards, she started telling me about Jesus. And this was the very first time I ever heard the gospel. I had... uh, I knew who Jesus was. I had heard kind of that refrain, uh, Jesus died for sins, things like that, but never understood the gospel, never heard it clearly articulated. Certainly no one ever shared the gospel with me until that night. Mm. Um, I was coming out of a background of the occult, of, um, of, of a culture 
among my friends that I guess stereotypically people might have said those are bad kids. Mm. Uh, we certainly got into a lot of trouble. And yeah, I started hearing the gospel, and it really sounded beautiful. I I wanted to have what this girl had. And then I met other Christians. God began to bring other young Christians into my life who loved the Lord. They loved their church. They loved the Bible. And I'd never seen anything like that. And they were filled with this joy and this happiness. Uh, it was really otherworldly for me. Mm. So uh, I heard the gospel a lot and really desired it, thought it was beautiful. It became clear to me that I was damned, that I was going to hell, that that was fair and good. And so I really just lived in a state of despair for probably nine months. And uh, I would talk to my, my friends, my non-Christian friends, and tell them all about this. And I would say, man, I want to wake up and be a Christian. And they would laugh and say, yeah, well, it's too late for you. And that was kind of my mentality. There's no mm. way that I could lay hold of the grace of God. Graduated from high school, and uh, one evening I was reading the Gospel of Matthew on my bed and was converted. God uh, brought me from not really understanding how God would forgive me through Jesus to believing that Christ is the Son of God who lived, died, and rose again, and that in and through him I have the remission of sins and eternal life. I rolled off my bed, fell onto the floor on my knees, and started praying, and I remember uh, committing myself to God, uh, asking for his forgiveness. And uh, from that moment on, uh, things were different. I, I tried to keep it a secret for as long as I could. I didn't think people would believe that I was a Christian, but I couldn't hold it in after two weeks and started telling everybody. And uh, yeah, so I got brought into the church and was baptized, and that really kind of started my, uh, my journey towards ministry, because shortly after that, I felt a strong calling towards pastoral ministry. What, what did that call look like for you particularly? Because people talk a lot about, you know, their call to ministry and what does calling look like? Like, what, does, what did yours look like? Yeah, I didn't have a, a, a lightning bolt moment, but I began reading my Bible uh, just voraciously. I, I, I had to understand it. I didn't know the story of Cain and Abel. I didn't know anything. I know it's a lot like your story. We have very much, we have pretty much the same story yeah, Seth, <laughs> yeah. as we've talked. Yeah. But um, I, as I as I read the Bible and went to church, Colossians one twenty eight and twenty nine were the verses that really kept pressing in on me. Where Paul says that we preach Jesus, uh, teaching every man and exhorting every man with all wisdom, that we might present everyone complete in Christ. And for this purpose also I labor according to his power which mightily works within me. Something mm -hmm. like that. Uh, those verses pressed upon me the desire to become a mature disciple, because I knew that I wasn't. Uh, and it showed me that that really is another way of stating the mission of the church, right? To make disciples. Mm -hmm. yeah. And the Christians that I met, the young Christians that I was around, they loved the Lord. They were zealous evangelists. They read the Bible. They prayed together. I was around these young people who seemed to get it. But in the church at large, at least in the churches that I had kind of been a part of, I didn't see serious discipleship. I didn't see theological maturity. I wouldn't have called it that at the time. And people didn't know their Bibles. It, it seemed a little superficial to me. And I, I felt strongly called at some point in that first year that God wanted me to be a part of disciple making in a pastoral role. So those verses were key. The affirmation of the church saying, you know, you, you do have these gifts, you should pursue that. That set me on track. 
how did you know, because you ended up planting in St. Charles, um, tell us a little bit like about your background personally with St. Charles and how did you feel called to St. Charles particularly? St. Charles, Geneva, and Batavia are uh, three western suburbs of Chicago, and those cities, like a lot, most of the cities uh, just outside of Chicago, they're all on top of each other. Mm. So I grew up in Geneva, Batavia was to the south, St. Charles was to the north, uh, around them was Aurora to the south, and uh, Elgin to the north of them. And so that was the area that I grew up in. I know those people. I love those people. Um, I have a love-hate relationship with the culture. There's a lot to be embraced and received, but there's a lot to be rejected. That's it's about bad. how we feel. Right, right? <laughs> every, every city. Every city. You should not just love it, but you should love and hate it. Yep. You know? So I, I've always wanted to... Well, I wanted to church plant from about 1994. When I started dating my wife, we both really talked a lot about planting, maybe going to Germany. We weren't sure where. And as God, so I had this broad calling now to go into pastoral ministry. And as I went through Bible college and prayed and, and sought wisdom, that calling narrowed more and more until I really felt strongly North American context, then Chicagoland. And so I was uh, asked by my parent church while I was in seminary if I would be willing to come up and plant. And uh, that opportunity was, for me, a no-brainer. We, uh, we jumped on that and uh, came back to the area. Very cool. And you guys, tell us a little bit of, uh, tell people kind of Redeemer's story, because you guys mm-hmm. started originally as a plant in Elburn, right? right? Yeah, so when I was in seminary and they called us, they said, uh, the pastor said, hey, we, we, there is a, a bedroom community uh, farther west of from the city. I mean, it's not anywhere near uh, the city. It's, it's St. Charles is pretty much the farther and western suburb that gets mentioned on Chicago News. So yeah, like, right. I'll mention that, and that's about it. So there was a bedroom community farther west, a small town of 2,000, and they had a heart for the people there. We want to see a Reformed Baptist church started there. Good gospel witness, uh, you know, good community. And so as... I just said yes because I wanted to come back and it, it sounded like a good thing. So I returned to the area with my wife and we partnered with two other families, uh, the Aldridges and the Warfords. They're still with us to this day. And That's awesome. we planted Grace Baptist Church in Elburn. We grew from six people to 60. A third of our people were new converts and we reached not one person from Elburn. Not, wow. not one convert. Uh, came from that area. All of our ministry reached back toward St. Charles, Geneva, Batavia, Elgin. So That's really interesting. We couldn't reach anybody in the community. It's just a closed, tight-knit, small town of a 2,000 at the time. And we not only that, but in conjunction with that, once we constituted and became a self-supporting church on our own, we pretty quickly became inwardly focused. Mm. And so the, a lot of what we learned through Grace, what I learned through Grace Baptist Church was failure, like how to fail, uh, what not to do. Those are the things that were clear. One of the things that happened in this is we became inwardly focused as I lost sight of any vision that would call us to a particular identity in a particular place with a particular methodology for reaching out. Mm. We became inwardly focused, uh, you know, small church, 60 people. It's easy for others to come in. You're so hungry for people. Right. People come in who love the Lord and they have a slightly different emphasis or a, or a pretty majorly different emphasis. And as we were inwardly focused and one family in particular, for example, began to say, hey, how about family integrated church? You know, no more classes for kids, no more breaking up the body. Let's all stay together. Mm. You know, Vody Bauckham style. 
And uh, at the time, I thought, well, if uh, my kids can handle it, and if that's what our people want to do, let's go ahead and do it, without thinking about the missional repercussions of, of taking that approach right. in church. That makes sense. And really, from that point on, we stalled out. Uh, we weren't reaching out. We weren't reaching more people. We had exhausted all of our relationships. And we just began to feel, I began to feel that we were out of place, that something needed to change. Mm-hmm. During that time, I was getting coaching from some friends, uh, some who are in Acts 29. We were not a part of Acts 29 at this point, uh, which is a church planting network uh, of churches that plant churches. And at some point, God really convicted me and said, I believe, that you need to relocate back to the area that you came from and start fresh. And this is the area that our parent church existed in, Mm. First Baptist Church of St. Charles. So I felt like we needed to relocate and relaunch and I talked to the elders about it, of our church plant, and they, uh, they all eventually agreed. It was a painful decision, but we all agreed we needed to relocate and relaunch and have a fresh vision. And by this time, I had gotten enough coaching and figured out the mistakes that I had made. And as we began to explore going back to this Tri-Cities area, Geneva, Batavia, St. Charles, um, we talked to our parent church, uh, First Baptist Church of St. Charles, and, and they were without a pastor at the time. They had gone down to 30 and we explored the idea of what would it look like if we both restarted fresh as a brand new church. Kill the church plant, Grace, kill the uh, parent church, First B, and start something new. Mm. And uh, it took about a year of talking together and then worshiping together and praying together and planning. And we eventually, in 2007, pulled that trigger, which was uh, we closed down both churches. We, uh, there was, that building was empty. And then we restarted in 2007 with Redeemer Fellowship, new constitution and covenant, new theological confessional statement, um, new uh, vision for elders ministry and how we're going to function as a church in the western suburbs of Chicago in making disciples. And all of that was, was really solidly agreed upon by the core group of both churches now, we could have shook out with you know, 90 to 100 people, but we shook out with 20 adults. Mm. So uh, it, we started with a small group of people, half of whom were terrified, this is not going to work, half of whom were uh, this, thinking this could work, and then a few of us were thinking, God's in this, we just were really convinced. And uh, it has been uh, the most beautiful church I've ever been a part of. Uh, we're seven years old now, and uh, we, we've continued to grow steadily. Uh, uh, throughout those years, spiritually, numerically, uh, in unity, and um, it's it is easily the the healthiest and the the best and the funnest church I've ever been a part of. That's really cool. You you said you shook out with about twenty. Was that total, or was that from? Uh, yeah, that's between both churches. We shook out with forty five people, counting babies, and um, from both churches. Okay. So a lot of people that were in those meetings and said, this is the right thing to do, they were tired. The parent church okay. had been in decline for, for decades. I almost said centuries. That wouldn't be fair. <laughs> they were in decline for decades. Great people, but they didn't have the guy up front leading them that they needed. You okay. can say it that way. So they were in decline. Then they were without a pastor. And those people, like they're Bible people. Yeah. They love the Lord. They love the word. Like, let's get going. We were coming with, and they were older you know, really like late 40s all the way through the 90s, we were a bunch of 20 and 30-somethings at the church plant. 
and uh, and some of them were like, well, we're not going to make this transition with you. It, it's it's hard planting a church. We just did it. We don't want to do it again. So we were uh, we started with a. I mean, forty is a great launch number. I mean, that's really that's ideal. I think, mm-hmm. but it was a lot smaller than we thought it would be. And from there, uh, we moved forward. Yeah, it was, and it took about a year for those two churches to feel like one. You had two groups of people. Yeah. And at first, it felt a little awkward. Yeah, right. You know, like I don't know these people, and who does this, and you know, who took the American flag out of this sanctuary? <laughs> we got the we got the old Baptist all church that stuff, building. Yeah. So we merged. We took over the Baptist. Didn't take it over, but we all moved back into the Baptist church building in St. Charles that had originally sent us, and. Uh, we, we didn't focus on the aesthetics at all. We didn't make anything look good. We took out the American flag, not because we don't love America. We love America, and we hate America. I mean, it's both, right? It's just like, <laughs> it's like, we it's like in the city, yeah. right? Uh, there's, there's, I, mean, I love my country. I think it's the best country to live in in the world. I praise God for it, and I pray that God would do great things in it. But, uh, but the gathered worship is not about the country. Right. It's about the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of man. So that was the only thing that we really did. And then we began building a worship culture that we thought would be best for us as that people in that city at that time. And, um, and that began to develop. And so, yeah, we have uh, four elders and, and a new elder candidate that we're training right now. And we are um, uh, going through a lot of, of really amazing and yet painful situations with our people. But there has been in seven years, by God's grace, no churchy drama. No, I've never, I haven't received a, a bad email in seven years about preaching too long or too short or the style of music or anything like that. The people have been radically That's unified good. around the gospel and the mission. That's good. That's awesome. Um, I was going to ask, just going back a little bit to um, Grace, you said you got to about 60, 60 people. Um, how had you connected with those people initially? Like, what did that look like? Because I think it's really interesting. You were in Elburn, but it wasn't really pulling from Elburn. How are you meeting these people well, there was nowhere to hang out in Elburn okay <laughs> so there was uh, there, people didn't work there they slept there and that's it but they didn't even really play there at the time you know they would go back to St. Charles to Batavia that's where everything's at okay uh, they had a tiny grocery store at the time like a little like country tiny grocery store now over the years it has expanded quite a bit I think they have 5,000 people there now but it's still a, and a number of our people come from Elburn in fact when we launched Redeemer that's when we started reaching people from Melbourne. <laughs> That's really interesting. Yeah. yeah, so we have we have several families that live in that area that okay. are part of our church. That's really cool. So with the relocation, people were willing to, you know, go over to St. Charles. I mean, they're obviously they're yeah. right on top that's, of each and other. And that's normal for them to do that. Yeah. They all go that way. But when you talk to people in St. Charles about coming out to Elburn, they ask why. <laughs> there's, there's, there, there's, at the, there are two reasons people will make a trek out to Elburn. Um, Ollie's ice cream, uh, which is great, and... Um, the the butcher reams people come from all over to get that butcher I've stuff. Been there. It's really that's yeah, good stuff. Spectacular. <laughs> I get but that. But that's it. And so now they've got a McDonald's and they have a, a big Jewel grocery store and all of that. But it's still a bedroom community. So yeah. we met people by hanging out where we lived. Okay. And we didn't live. We had two families. Like I didn't plant that church. Um, we we all worked together. Three families of us really came together to plant this church. The Warfords, the Aldridges, and myself. Sort of like what you exactly what you guys did. That's so, encouraging. <laughs> yeah, we, we started that, and we just started reaching out to our relationships, guys from work, um, people in our neighborhood, mm-hmm. friends, and those were the people that God converted. And we had exhausted those relationships at some point, and we had, it, 
you know, used up all our influence, but we at that point didn't have a strategic means for reaching out beyond those relationships and developing new ones as a church or even as individuals. And largely that falls on me for not having clarity on that vision and communicating that to people. Mm. So yeah, we grew to about 60 and you would think, well, then those people were going to be reaching their friends. But again, it seemed like, why would I go out to Elburn? Okay. Why would I go out there and meet in some school? Like yeah. it just, it didn't really connect. And it's, uh, it seemed to have been, it seems to have worked really well in our current situation with a building. that's pretty ghetto. Uh, it's pretty simple and not pretty. A lot, of, a lot of church plants get into a cool church building with stained glass windows and dark pews, and that's not what we have. <laughs> like an old warehouse or something? Yeah, something cool. There's nothing cool about where we're at. But, uh, but, but Christ is, is beyond cool, and the gospel is rich, and people come. One guy said uh, recently, about a year ago, he started coming with his wife, and they're, they're probably in their late 50s, early 60s. And he said, uh, he said you ever watch that, that TV show, uh, Drive-ins, dives, and diners. I don't know. That guy, yeah, yeah, guy yeah. Fietti and all that. And I said, yeah, I've seen that show. And he goes, Redeemer Fellowship's like that show. <laughs> and I said, oh, yeah? And he goes, yeah, you know, they go to this, they go to this like, dumpy little hole-in-the-wall restaurant, and it has the best food. And he's like, that's Redeemer. And I took that that's as pretty a, cool. I took that as a great compliment. Well, it's uh, way better than the flip of that. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> amazing <laughs> facilities that right. Jesus ain't here. Oh that's, oh, that's the worst. It's the bread of life. I'd way rather have what you guys have in that. That's awesome. Um, so how you said it sounds like you kind of were learning and honing in on how to you know reach people and engage people missionally and evangelistically while you were in Elburn, learning from some of the mistakes and then honing it in by the time you got to you know launching Redeemer. What does that look like for you guys now? Like what what does mission, what does evangelism look like in your context now? Part of it's uh, easier right off the bat because the where we meet is in the city where we all work and play and live and all mm-hmm. that stuff. So uh, it's a much easier. Um, sell to use a bad word for it, right? Um, I could, they're, they're, oh, where's your church? Oh, it's it's four minutes from here. It's just around the corner and down the block. Yeah, like, you, you know you can't miss it. You come and join us. So, because of that, it's easier. But what we do is we um, reach out to people in a number of ways. Really, the front door uh, of our church is the worship service, like it is for a lot of people. Uh, our context, like all of Chicago land, is primarily Roman Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, almost all of my non-Christian friends are lapsed Catholics. One might be consistently Catholic. So they're all familiar with church. You know, there's a little bit of religion around. And so the idea of church doesn't terrify them or completely freak them out. So that's the context that we're largely in. So the front door focuses as, I mean, the church worship service focuses, functions as our, as our front door. And we invite people. Like, you should come in and, and check it out and see what's going on there. And in the worship service, we work really hard uh, to use Pastor Daniel Montgomery's words, uh, to make sure that what we do is very biblical, but also very comprehensible. You know, we, we want people to know what we're doing and why we're doing it, whether we're um, celebrating the Lord's Supper or uh, giving a benediction mm. at the end. We want those things to be explained. And so we try to use, even though we use theological language, we define our terms. In our program, it lists why we do that. It's a section each week that says, well, why, why, do, we, why do we do red prayers on occasion? Well, here... Well, pretty much every week. Why do we do that? And well, here's why we do that. What's a benediction? And we explain that. So mm-hmm. front door is the worship service. Uh, but that only, I mean, that, that works primarily in two ways. One, Christians that are into the area looking for a, a good church, sure, um, they yeah. look online. And then after that, it's word of mouth and us inviting our friends and, and non-Christian neighbors and family members. So that's really the front door, utilizing relationships 
And then we have various mercy ministries that are happening. We have ESL. Uh, we do a prison ministry uh, corresponding with, with prisoners, um, things like that, that help us to, um, to reach out to the disadvantaged. We have a wildly popular ministry that we call Clothes Closet. And all of the, all of the people in town, or many of the people in town in the surrounding cities, bring their good clothes. Some of them are new. Some of them are gently used. They drop them off for us. We uh, clean them up, hang them up, organize them, and once a month we do a giveaway. And we have people showing up for hours in advance uh, just to get in there and, and take care. And there's toys for the kids and everything. So that's another level. But primarily, it's, it's, been, it's been word of mouth and teaching our people through instruction and example how to be present where they live, uh, where they work, in such a way that they are connecting with people, building those relationships, sharing the gospel, and inviting them into their home, into the church, um, to see what God does in those contexts. So a lot of it is invitation, like personal. It's yeah, the relational. Vast, it, it, we've we've we ad, we did advertise early on. We we had, the church had a parsonage that my family would not fit into. So we sold the parsonage and we used that money to try some advertising. Uh, we put big ads in the paper. Not one person came. We put ads up on the movie theater. We have a big multiplex in town, 16 theaters in there. And uh, we had a, a high-quality professional moving picture ad that played on every screen before every movie, all day, all night. And we got not one phone call, not one visitor. We, uh, we sent out 40,000 pieces of mail through a professional company, and we got one family. And they are still with us today. They are, <laughs> That's good. They are That's all stars. Yeah, uh, you know, <laughs> a few thousand dollars, and uh, you know, we got a great couple, and they're amazing. They're amazing. So we tried that stuff on the front end, and it really didn't work. Everyone finds us through word of mouth or through a search online, and they just search, you know, church. And it's just straight from Google. It's not, so it's, you guys aren't even like running running ads. I know no. we're we're doing that. You guys are just just through the search. Yeah, That's really cool. Um, so how? With that, because that's awesome, you guys are meeting these people relationally, and a lot of it's from personal invitation. How are you, because this is my personal struggle, is to constantly push myself to meet more people. Because at a certain point, the the well runs dry. You right. talked about that a little bit, I mean, in Elburn. Of like, at a certain mm -hmm. point, you've kind of been pouring into the people that you know, and not really anything's happening. So like, how... How are you guys connecting with more people in the community? You said some of it's through you know, the Mercy Ministries and things like that. Yeah, and really through the Mercy Ministry, very few of them come to Redeemer for okay. worship. Um, it's, we do that out of a sense of, of love and responsi uh, responsibility toward our neighbors and love for our neighbors. But uh, So we're not doing that and trying to count and figure out how many sure. people are we going to get. Uh, it, the disconnect... be easy mistake to make. Yeah, right. Yeah, like, oh, this reasons. isn't working. Yeah. So I'm not going to do it anymore. Whereas, well, it's working if you're if you're clothing the naked. That mm -hmm. that's working. If you have the right goal and expectation. Exactly. So the disconnect and part of the disconnect in our first church plant was um, we exhausted our relationships, but we hadn't trained anybody else after us how to use their relationships most effectively, and. And it was hard to model that as well because we were meeting in one area and then hanging out in other areas because you couldn't hang out near where we worship. Oh, yeah. It was just a little problematic. And so um, I model it through my specific circles of influence for other people. And I invite a lot of people, men in particular, to be with me in those environments. They see how I do it. They go and do it in their preferred environments. Mm. So for me, most people know if they know anything about me that I hang out at the cigar shops. 
And uh, that's where I make my friends. That's where I have constant, ongoing conversations about God, Jesus, the gospel, the church, uh, sin, death, hell, politics, war, family, whatever. You're talking about all those things over a cigar. With, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. awesome. I mean, the, the, once a guy lights his cigar, he's he's stuck. He's not going anywhere <laughs> for 45 minutes You've to an hour. Him. If he's got a big one, two hours. So we get to just chat. And I don't have to rush the conversation because I know we have time. And so it's really through... Um, uh, the main idea is we use our relationships and our circles of environment to build relationships because we love our neighbors and we want people to know Jesus. Mm -hmm. We model that for others and then they replicate it so that it's continuing to go on. And there's always going to be a few families that are better at that than others. Mm -hmm. We had that initial 40, 45 people. And the very first couple to jump in with us was a young couple uh, not even married, just getting ready to get married in their early 20s. And they loved the Lord. They wanted to find a good church, not like one that they'd been to in the past, something more community-based, a little bit smaller. We were a lot smaller. When they came, they invited a lot of people. And so they have—they were like a, a trigger for our church uh, experiencing Man, those more people growth. are valuable. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, they, you know, they call that the person of peace, oftentimes, right, church right. planting, the person that has... A larger circle of influence, yeah. and a lot of people will will uh, come alongside them. And then we we just continued to have that. There's one brother that's at our church. Uh, he invites more people than anybody uh, else, for sure. In fact, uh, he was just in the middle of a very serious uh, family situation in the hospital. A lot of stuff going on, tough stuff, rough stuff, bad stuff. So he's walking his family through it, praying, crying out to God. And one of the ladies in the room that's helping to take care of the situation started talking to him. And uh, he says, you need to come to our church. It's just, it's just for him, he's like, I want you to come and I want you to experience something that you're not going to get, you know, in your normal life. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and boom, there they were uh, this past Sunday. That's just normal for him. That's great. So the more of those people, the more, uh, not just through them, but through their example, it, it tends to uh, multiply. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, those people are huge. But I was going to ask, um, like, wh where are you guys at now as far as, you know, kind of in that story? Yeah. Where are you guys at today? Like, wh what's, I hate to say this, but how, how big is the yeah, church? How many yeah. people involved? We average around 1,500 on Sunday at one campus. <laughs> I know that's not true. What are you talking about? 1,500 at one campus. I have been there in a little while. I know that's not true. 800 at our video venue uh, in Batavia. Um <laughs> We have, uh, by the way, that's what I recommend you do at any conference when somebody who don't doesn't know you go. So how big's your church? <laughs> five thousand numbers. Yeah, five thousand. What's up? <laughs> go away. <laughs> and when they go, really? You go, no. It's uh, it's a hundred. Is now? Are you disappointed? You know, like right, right, anyway. right. Uh, so we've been exi in existence for three years. We have uh, on average two hundred and twenty on Sunday. Uh, we had just a really big Sunday before, but like two forty. But that's not common, especially for us in the summer. So we have 220. Uh, because our worship space is very small, we had to break it up into two services. So two services with 220 feels kind of small in those environments, you know, because mm. you'll have you know, less than 101 and more than 100 in another. Yeah. But that has taken us seven years. I mean, it's been slow, steady growth. A lot of people, especially in Chicagoland, you know, they, they show up and they're like, we're going to man, we're going to plant this church. We're going to take over. I mean, God's going to do something that he's never done before. That was us. And uh, that's, that's most people, right? Most we people. thought like, it's going to be. And no. it's like, well, God doesn't really do stuff he hasn't done before, first of all. Um, you know, he builds his church. That's what he right. does. And most of the time, 
it for out here there are exceptions to the ruling and i see god blessing those but the general pattern seems to be slow steady growth through gospel proclamation through christian relationships investing in non-christians um having gospel explicit worship yeah uh, community groups that are centered around the gospel and building up real community and i see conversions taking on average a year uh, of of knowing the person loving the person walking with the person before they're converted out here mm. that seems to be our experience and so i think we went from yeah you know like 40 to 50 in the first year to uh, 70 the next year and we were probably there uh, for a while, and then we popped over a hundred, maybe, maybe third year, and then we were at 120 for a long time, and then we got to 150, and we were at 150 for a while, and then we jumped from 150 in one of those fall seasons, we jumped to over 200, and that's that's stayed pretty steady for us. And again, that's not. We don't do advertising or anything, so it's, it's mm. and we would. We're not against it. Uh, we just, I don't know, just we're lazy or we don't care. I guess we don't. Maybe we don't care. I guess I should say <laughs> we should care. Well, more rela- I mean, relationally, that's been working for you guys. So it's yeah. a matter of you pour you pour effort into what works. Yeah. You know? If so listen, if sense. the mailer had worked, we would have kept doing for sure. that. And we'll revisit that stuff later right. on. Now that we have more of a presence in yeah. town. And I mean, that's what we've been talking about. Is for us, for whatever reason, marketing has worked a lot more than we ever thought mm-hmm. it was going to. So it's like, all right. Yeah, do it works. Let's pour energy into that. As long as it's, you know, highlighting the gospel and right. and not trivializing God right. or the things of God, then I say, yeah, man, uh, do the do whatever you can to let yeah. people know that you exist. I mean, that's a that's a really big problem. So, um, I would how I would describe Redeemer is uh, a mid-sized church, smaller mid-sized church. We have amazing leaders, uh, which is part of why the church is, is so strong because the men that lead the church, and I'm thinking of, of the elders, not myself, these other elders, uh, they are godly, humble, passionate men who are churchmen and they love the flock. They are uh, deeply invested in, in God's word and in the people. So that really sets a tone for the, the rest of the congregation. And the people are amazing. I mean, this is like, I, we don't do the passing of the peace, which is a fine liturgy, if you like awkwardness. Uh, we, don't, we don't do the passing of the peace. Uh, we do, uh, though, encourage our people to be friendly and to greet people before and after the service, and our people naturally do that. Uh, they, and so it's a very warm and welcoming church. It's easier at that size. It's not always happening at, at churches at that size. but it, So um, warm, friendly, uh, great people who really love the Lord. And I mean, it's a very diverse congregation. We have uh, we have the same ethnic diversity as you'd see in our city. So it's 96% white and then, you know, a little bit uh, African-American, mm-hmm. uh, Hispanic. It's a good thing for planters to hear is like you can't, I heard somebody say this, I'm not sure who, but you can't expect to like uh, not look like your demographics basically right. you know you you we want to be a diverse church and all of us have that heart but like right what does your community look like well you're probably gonna look like that yeah we we have we have the the expected amount of asian american african american right and, uh, hispanic indian but um, as of what's in your city yeah yeah so we would love to have more because that's great but uh i can't expect I'm not looking to, to make that happen in some artificial right. way. And generationally, we're very diverse. We have, we have uh, well, the oldest lady in the church is my mom. Uh, so she's the oldest. But, well, my dad is the oldest man. I guess that's what I should say. My dad's the oldest man. He's 70. Um, but we have, you know, retirees in their 60s, quite a few. And then we have people all the way down into their 
they're, they're college students. Not a ton of college students, but with college students, mm. a lot of our primary growth uh, or the, like the biggest growing segment are uh, young married couples, couples just getting married, early 20s. I wanted to go back a second to the question I had asked before on kind of where you guys are at size-wise and everything, and I'm really glad you kind of poked fun at that even. Because um, to tell everybody, Redeemer is a fantastic church. It was my home church that I was at for, what, five years, something like that, five, five years or so. Um, and God did fantastic things through the time that I was there. I got to see you know, great things happening in the lives of the people that were there. I love Redeemer. It's a fantastic church. Um, and it's not a church of you know, 1,500 or 10,000 across 10 campuses. It's not. Um, it doesn't need to be to be a fantastic church. Um, and to be to be a church that God is using for his glory um, and for the good of the, the people in St. Charles. Um, but I wanted to go back to that because um, you said, I mean, it's taken seven years to get to, you guys are 220-something right now. I mean, for us, you know, we're, we've been here in Evanston for about a year and a half. We've been launched, so to speak, for a little over a year, and we're at 30-something people. I mean, it's not... A lot of the times you're kind of attesting to this, but it's not glamorous, you know, instantaneous growth. It's one relationship at a time. It's hard work. I mean, back to Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Yeah. Paul's vision is to see mature disciples of Jesus, right? Complete. And he says, for this purpose, I labor. Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, it is hard work. But he works according to the power and the strength that God provides through the Holy Spirit. Um, So, yeah, it's really hard work. For most of us, it's slow work. And by slow, I just mean God generally doesn't operate on our calendar. I always thought we would be farther along than we are. Mm -hmm. And and my whole life as a Christian, it's been, I always thought I'd be farther along than I am in godliness, in ministry, and God has seen fit to slow things down. And I praise him for that because I (laughs) I really believe if, like I have friends whose churches have exploded and they're doing really like big numbers. And uh, I think it would have crushed me. I don't. I don't know that I would have survived that. I don't know if our church would have survived it. We were. We're not very organized. At least we weren't. We are now, but we weren't very organized, and we didn't have the kind of leadership that was highly capable of understanding systems and moving along. So, as we slowly grew and kept hitting these benchmarks, I could call on my friends in Acts twenty nine uh, locally and say, "Okay, you guys are farther ahead than us. How do we handle this situation?" How do we handle assimilation so that it's a, it's a process that people understand and really gets them plugged into the church? How are we going to go to two services and make that work when we're so small? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we were able to get a lot of wisdom as we went. I just I think part of what God is doing in growing us the way that he's growing us is it allows us to um, – he's protecting us from ourselves. But it also – it has complemented the kind of church that we want to be. We're not – easy for me to say because we probably – don't have those gifts anyways, but we're not interested in being a church of a thousand or more. Mm. Uh, we, 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 we like the model of churches in the hundreds, and I mean under 500. Churches in the hundreds in the various small cities uh, that are on top of each other. And so we've, uh, you know, we're at 220. We would, it would be great if we could just continue to plant churches and maybe even campuses with real life preachers uh, throughout the surrounding areas rather than just continue to grow and grow and grow in size so that mm. we have one campus with thousands. It's not wrong. It's just not our vision. Yeah, yeah. So in God go, causing it to go slow, we haven't been forced to say like, well, we were going to do that, but now we yeah, yeah. have to. So it, for it's us, it's... fit in with what you wanted. Yeah. yeah. Whatever God wants, if God wants it to grow to a thousand, I'm not going to fight him on it, but <laughs> I'm much more comfortable. I and mean, that's not always a good thing, but I'm much more comfortable and satisfied with seeing growth as slow as it is, seeing growth, seeing lives changed, seeing marriages healed, seeing Christ honored, uh, seeing people go from death to life. 
that it, for me is thrilling. And I think mm-hmm. the, the key for all of us is to be faithful with what God has given you, whatever size that is, uh, to be faithful there, uh, Jesus says, is what leads to God giving us more to be faithful over right. at some point. And so uh, whether it's a church of, of you know, 30, 300, or 3,000, if you're constantly trying to pastor a church of a size that you don't actually have, looking ahead, well, I've got 30, but I'm going to act like I'm a church of 100 or 300, you wind up uh, short-circuiting the ministry that God has given you. And yeah. people feel that. People know that. Like, wow, I can't, how come I can't yeah. get a hold? It like, short-changes the people there, even if you're not trying to. Right. Right. And so I even like, I see a lot of guys going, man, we're at 150 and I, I don't want to give up my email anymore and all of that. I give out my phone number and my email to everybody. Mm. Um, I was trying to keep my, my phone away from people for a while, but I gave up. I just, I give it out to everybody and I don't, I get back to them when I can, but, uh, everybody has access to me. That's part of what we like. And not just to me, but to all of the elders, but sometimes they want to see the senior pastor or the lead pastor. And our, one of our commitments is, is all right. Call, email, we'll set up an appointment. You're accessible. Yeah. yeah. You can get in usually within a week, but if not, two weeks is about as long as it takes uh, to have a sit down. But typically it happens within days. That's really cool. Um, I agree with you, Joe, as you're talking about um, kind of having that vision of, of wanting to be not a ginormous church, but keeping it, you know, smaller, not not tiny, but smaller. Um, I we, We've had the same conversations at Ransom City about kind of where we're headed in the future and where we'd like to be size-wise size before we plant. And um, so I completely agree. Like, why is that? Why do you feel that way? Like, as far as why is that part of your vision? Well, part of it is what we experienced uh, when we were young in the faith and going to various churches. Um, I guess I could explain it this way. In our area, what has frequently happened is a church is planted and it grows to about 200 and they start a building campaign, and they buy a plot of land outside of the city on the, on the, on the uh, outskirts, and they build a big building, and then the church grows from there. And it's not wrong. Uh, just for us, what I see happening is a church that moves outside of the city and exists on the periphery, even just geographically, it, it feels like and it, it appears that they lose influence Uh, in the city and they gain influence among other evangelicals and it almost becomes it can become a magnet for other Christians who are going to other churches that are good enough they're fine they're they're not they're making disciples but they start drawing from other churches more transfer growth yeah it's a lot of and I'm not against transfer growth in fact I'm writing an article on that right now that there is bad transfer growth and there is good transfer growth oh (laughs) certainly especially if they're coming from unhealthy churches it's like come on in so um so I, that, that's sort of how it feels. But really for us, it, there, there's this dynamic of, of pastoral care that we are working towards with Redeemer. We want our people to know that they get emails and phone calls from the elders, not because they're in trouble, not because there's a need, but because we care. We love you. Yeah. And you can do that at, at any size church, but it becomes a lot harder. And the staff that is seen on Sunday mm-hmm. is typically not the staff that people interact with throughout the week in those larger churches. So we really wanted to maintain a sense of community. We think that's easier to maintain in a church that's 500 or less. We wanted more pastoral oversight and accountability. We wanted to be able to know the people in our congregation. So we think that that uh, immediately, and again, this is in a sense pie in the sky, like idealism. It's not biblical in the sense that you have to have a small church. We see very large churches in in the book of Acts. It's more preference. Yeah, so this is just how we see it. And I think because... 
in the suburbs where a lot of those mega churches have blown up, um, I, I think it's a, for us, we're convinced that a better missional posture is to start smaller churches that are very similar in their DNA, in their approach to culture, uh, to start smaller congregations in those small towns, and then therefore spreading out the ministry through these local churches, almost in a parish-like context. Mm. You know, we, we, would, we would love to have a church, uh, you know, in every city or in every other city uh, for that matter. But again, this is just how we're thinking about it and how we're approaching it. And that's, that's why we like it, though. So to give people, you know, a little more context, we've talked about this before a number of times on the podcast, but Redeemer is our sending church. Um, so you guys sent us out here to plant Ransom City. So we that's own how, you. Yeah. <laughs> you are ours and you do what we say. Well, I was going to say, what, what's been awesome in that you guys have, have absolutely coached and, and been involved and, you know, had oversight. We don't do whatever the heck we want by any stretch of the imagination, but you guys really have given us autonomy um, and the ability to, you know, okay, we're, we're paying attention to what's going on in our city and kind of how to make adjustments and stuff like that. You guys have really trusted us well, which we Yeah, really even when, I mean, there have been times when... You know, personally, I would disagree yeah. with something, you know, like when you want to do something uh, just different than I would do. And uh, we talk about it and you were like, I, we really want to do this. We think this is best. I'm not sure, but it's not a biblical issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, we trust you guys. And we, we, you know, we talk about it, work it out. We say, okay, you know, then, uh, oh, hang on. You got a little egg on your face from last time you did that. There you go. <laughs> um, no, I'm just kidding. So, no, that, like, so we do trust you. you. Like you are a called man. The whole church saw that. Uh you're qualified, you're competent, uh, you love the Lord, you love uh, the lost. I mean, we, we, you have the gifts. We were ready to send you and the team that you have around you, uh, both you know, those, Greg and Chris and all of your wives, uh, we were just really confident that, uh, that God was, was calling you to do this sooner than later. And so we sent you when you were younger mm. than we would send probably anybody else. But we've been really happy to see how God has led you and directed you and how you've kind of gone out there. And again, if there is no way of doing church planting without making mistakes. So, no. and, and you don't always know. You usually, you probably never know what they are until you right. do them. And so uh, we've just said, all right, go and do your thing. And, uh, and, and we trust you in this. If it was ever anything unorthodox or unbiblical, then we would, you know, obviously say no. <laughs> right, we've right. never had to do that because we're all on the same page. Yeah. We, well, we've really appreciated that. I just wanted to point that out and highlight that, um, for a minute, just cause I, I think model or redeemer has been a model in that of sending out church plants and then trusting your, your people on the ground and going, Hey, here's our council, but we trust you, you know, on those calls that aren't, you know, biblical issues. They're just, you know, preference or strategy or vision or those kinds of things. So that, that's really cool. I was going to say, you know, we knew each other personally, obviously, you know, I was at Redeemer for five years or so. Um, so I kind of witnessed, uh, kind of a, a stretch in your ministry that I wanted you to speak on, um, if you don't mind. Um, cause I think it's really good for, for other pastors and planters to hear. Um, it was, what, when was this? Probably a couple of years ago. 2011. Yeah. Um, and it was, I'll, I mean, I'll let you speak on it, but dealing with kind of the pressures of ministry, um, and maybe the way things were structured and high anxiety and high stress and kind of how that impacted you. Yeah. I, uh, 2011, uh, my, my book was published. Um, it was received well. The church was healthy. It was growing. My marriage was great, still is, praise the Lord. Uh, my kids are beautiful. Uh, everything was great. I, I didn't have anything to complain about. Uh, I just I felt very fortunate that God had put me in that place. 
But in 2011, uh, internally, I started to really fall apart. I was, I became incredibly fearful and anxious uh, for no reason. Again, there was no drama at the church. Uh, outside of normal ministry drama, like, wow, this person's life is falling apart. We need to help. Mm-hmm. But uh, I didn't have any cause. I, I was fearful about ministry. Uh, I couldn't sleep. Uh, my, my, I had heart palpitations. And I, I, I wasn't experiencing much grace or I wasn't experiencing uh, much peace or courage as I read scripture and prayed. And it became a very desperate time for me. It was as if the devil didn't have an easy an easy way in to my life uh, at home or in the church, but me as an individual, he was able to really strategically hit the weakest link, which is me. I am mm-hmm. the weakest link in the, in the church. I really And I really came to see that, and I saw that I was the weakest man. For the first time in my life, I really saw I'm the weakest man that I know. Because I, I like to fancy myself as, as little and hobbit-like as I am. I like to fancy myself as a tough guy who can handle himself. And what I saw was is that I'm incredibly weak. I, I can't handle my ministry responsibilities. Uh, I didn't feel like. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to be able to lead this church into the future. Mm. And, it, and it got so bad, uh, I, I seriously contemplated walking away, not from the faith, but from leading the church because I didn't want to do damage to it. Mm. So during this time, my wife said to me when I asked her, I said, would you follow me if I wanted to walk away from the leading the church and just go into you know, office management or, you know, something like that, that does not appeal to me at all. And she said, I will follow you anywhere, but it's the devil that wants you out. You know, that's not the Lord. That's the devil. It's your own weakness. Something's going on there. Mm. So I began to get counsel, uh, from a, a, from a guy that has become a really good friend of mine. And, uh, what, what was really, what we saw was the, the bottom line is, I got myself into this position where I was emotionally, mentally, spiritually exhausted and broken. And it was a result of a number of things, but some of them were, I'm kind of wired internally in a more fragile way than I wanted to admit. Uh, I was doing too much work for too long and I wasn't resting. And I wasn't, I, and because of that, I wasn't, sharing the work and and calling more people to come behind me to do or with me to do what I shouldn't have been doing or mm-hmm. you know couldn't do. So, um I started looking at my lifestyle in terms of uh, health habits, sleep habits, things like that. Um I reworked my entire schedule. Uh I, the, the elders just said give up a lot of things so that you're doing pass them off to other people. And that was hard because like a lot of pastors, I believed very foolishly and 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 pridefully that, well, if I don't do it, it won't work, mm. you know, because, you know, I'm, I'm the A-team, right? I got, I got <laughs> if I don't do it, into that line. you know, yeah. it's, it's not going to work. And I shouldn't be passing those off anyways. My church isn't that big. What am I, a baby? Like, what's the problem? And uh, so I walked through all of that and uh, saw my doctor and, and got everything sort of sorted out. And I still didn't find lasting relief. I, I, I got everything in order. There wasn't hidden sin and unrepentant sin going on. It was nothing like that, I, but I couldn't find relief. I was incredibly fearful and anxious. Every meeting, every preaching opportunity, uh, I was just riddled with insecurity and dread. 
And so finally, uh, I saw my doctor and my doctor said, you should consider uh, looking into an anti-anxiety medication. Uh, it may be that you have so worn your body down that you'll need this temporarily until your mm. brain starts functioning properly, or you may need to be on this for the rest of your life. We'll find out, but we think you need something because you've essentially worn out your brain and it's going to need help recuperating. Just like if your liver wasn't working properly, you might need medication to help it work properly. Your brain's having the same problem. Mm. Now, I'm the kind of guy that thinks that's great for other people, but I'm not interested. I think like <laughs> medication is a useful, needed tool, but uh, I just wanted God to fix it through prayer. So I reluctantly started uh, on this anti-anxiety medication, and uh, I would say three to six months in, I finally began to feel normal for the first time in years. Mm. I mean, I, I don't... I just felt like myself. I didn't wind up in some kind of fog or haze or I wasn't emotionally deadened. In fact, in fact if anything, I, I had appropriate highs and lows now. And the, that in conjunction with addressing my schedule, watching my spiritual life, my life and doctrine, mm. all of these things, uh, I found health again. So I think if I just would have taken the pills and not dealt with anything else, I would have been in the same spot just as I was doing everything else but not taking the pills. I think... Getting healthy for me included all of those things coming together. The holistic. Yeah. yeah. So I've, I've started talking to a lot more people, uh, and pastors in particular, about anxiety and depression because it is extremely prevalent among leadership. A, because of the pressures involved in ministry, the level of responsibility, uh, the risks involved, uh, the spiritual attacks. There is a lot of anxiety and depression among those uh, in leadership and in ministry in particular. So um, that's really become something on my heart uh, to help other guys walk through and to kind of dispel some of the stigma that's been associated with mental illness or yeah. anxiety and depression because uh, it's, it's the people are afraid to talk about it. Yeah. They're like, oh, what if people are going to think I'm weak? Well, I, like now, even now that I'm healthy, I know that I am the weakest man that I know. I'm, I mean, I'm more mm. convinced of that than ever. And yet I have more confidence than I ever had before uh, because I'm healthy enough to see and to recognize and to experience God's strength is perfected in weakness, and that he does it all. Um, he'll give me the power to do what he's called me to do. Mm. Yeah, no, I appreciate you opening up about that, Joe. Um, and that's why I wanted to ask about it is just because, well, for one, I agree with you. I think it's one of those departments that people are afraid to talk about, don't know how to address, um, don't know what to do with it. And I think then even in the Christian community, people you know sometimes don't have a very healthy theological grid for what do we think about medication and what do you know like it's just you're not approached very well a lot of the time um and i mean i i talk about this openly so i don't mind sharing it on here but i deal with i've got an anxiety disorder <laughs> so i deal with very high anxiety much of the time and and even seeing kind of you walk in that yourself was really helpful for me to kind of go okay i need to need to make sure i'm not in my efforts to you know be on mission lead uh, the people God's entrusted to me, you know, destroying my own health um, and not taking the time to let God minister to me. Um, so I, just so people know, I mean, I, I deal with, um, I have a fairly mild case um, by comparison to others, but I deal with obsessive compulsive disorder and it, it can mess me up. I go right. through different seasons of like, it gets really distracting. Um, and that was the grid. I mean, I've, I've been through, um, I met with a psychologist for years um, and, and had therapy sessions with him, and that was honestly really, really helpful. Right. Um, gave me all kinds of tools in my tool belt that now I just refer to. Mm -hmm. You know, when I'm having those low seasons and I'm just distracted by, 
And what happens for me is I get honed in on something that makes me anxious, something that makes me, it's like the worst fear my brain can come up with in that season. And I get so focused in on it that I can't think about anything else. I mean, that's the thing I'm consumed by. So what are some of your tools though that you use? Yeah. So thank you for asking. So for me, it's been, uh, one of the things, uh, my therapist taught me years back. Um, and the good news was this guy, solid Christian. So you got to find somebody who is going to give you biblical tools. And I I feel like he really, really did. Um, so that was really, really helpful. But one of the things he taught me was thinking through, and I do this with Chris, I've done it with you before, Mm -hmm. um, as I'm dealing with these things, but thinking through like, okay, so what, what's the worst thing your brain's coming up with? All right, let's go to that ultimate end. And then what happens? You know, so in different seasons, it's been different things. Most of the Um, time it's relatively inconsequential. Right. Most of the time it's like, well, even if this got taken to its ultimate end, you're still in Christ. Right? You're still, you're not going to lose your salvation. God's not going to lose you. Like you're, right. you're secure in Christ. Um, it's worst case scenario. That's what you always come back to. Um, and so like that, that's been one of the tools for me is thinking through what am I so consumed by and worried about? Well, let's take it to its ultimate end. And then what happens? I'm still here. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not, well, even if I die, okay, you know, then I'll be with Jesus. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not the end of the world in, in that sense. Um, yeah, I, I, I just wanted to share that because I deal with that I like, on a daily me, basis. You told me recently that um, we were talking about this because, you know, we're psychologically uh, messed up. So we talk a lot about this stuff, uh, how we're doing and what's going on. It's I, helpful I liked, to talk about. I liked yeah. what you said uh, recently. Um, you were talking about something that you were focusing in on and getting really distracted by. And that, uh, so I just went and uh, I, I talked to my wife and I said, speak to me. You know, tell me, is this me? Am I being stupid? And she's like, yeah, you're being stupid. Like, yeah, here's you know, why this is illogical. Yeah. yeah. So like, have, like having, a, having a godly woman like Jackie that can speak into your life, mm-hmm. truth, but with compassion, who understands you and your weaknesses as well as your strengths. Like, I love that you were able to point right to that and go, man, God gave me a helper that <laughs> yeah. really does yeah. uh, you know, make me the man, or is helping me to become the man God wants me to be. Well, and in both of our cases, you did the same thing. You talked to yeah. Jen in the midst of you know, your, your trial when this was really, really difficult and really dark for you, and she was coaching you out of it. I mean, it's the same yeah. thing. you got to talk to your wife. I think, I think there's a tendency for, for us as men and as leaders in the church to be like, no, i got to handle this myself. Right. And a lot of times you can't, you need help. Like you need to admit, no, I can't handle this on my own. Like that's for one, that's, you know, if I can handle this on my own, why did Jesus come and die? And why does God even give us the Holy Spirit? It's because we're, we're weak. Like we, we can't handle these things. And so just admitting that. He is our help. Right. Right. Exactly. The Spirit is our helper. We absolutely need it. Yeah. Yeah. So I just wanted to open up about that. I mean, I've, I've dealt with that and I think it's really, really important to not, get so consumed. I think for me, the temptation is I gotta, gotta keep things going. I gotta engage the city. You know, I gotta do what I can so that not only where the church grow, but people will meet Jesus, all those things. And you get so worried about what your goal is that you're slowly decaying. Mm-hmm. And it's like that, that does nobody any good because like that, I mean that you said specifically, that's how, you know, the enemy was going after you. Um, and had he continued to do that, like that's going to, you know, lessen you as a leader right. and impact your church. Like that's totally what happens. And so I think that's, that's really, really important to you know, keep on that and pay attention to that and admit when you're struggling with different things. So how, how is that like now for you, you said this was like 2011. Yeah. That lasted that through uh, 2011 and 2012. And, uh, well, I, I feel good. I mean, it, good. it's funny. I, 
I saw I could see ten things that had to happen in the church back then that I couldn't do, and I knew that I, it would just be fall it would fall apart if I tried to do it. And now I can see a hundred things that have to happen in the church <laughs> that I can't do, and I don't. I'm not stressed about it at all. Mm. I'm not. I mean, I some days I have a I have a, a an anxious day or whatever, but no, I'm in a really good spot. Uh, I have highly competent elders and leaders and deacons in the church. And we, uh, we just started plugging people in to do their level uh, of work. And everybody works really hard. We work together. But even when I see everything that has to happen, I follow my schedule. I trust the Lord. And I experience uh, his grace in the midst of it. So, yeah, no, I'm, uh, I'm feeling really good. That's good. That's awesome. So it came from, you know, talking to others, getting coaching and counsel that way, uh, changes in your schedule, delegating things, medication. Was yep. there any other like factors in there that kind of were a part of it. I mean, all of those things were important for me. I would say that still the most important thing was, uh, like I wrote that book note to self on how to preach to yourself. Right. And so after I wrote the book, it became the most important time of my life when the the most critical time in my life where preaching to myself was absolutely necessary to survive. (laughs) Put your money where your mouth is situation. And, so really, it, it was it was the, the the word of God in my life as just not just pouring over its pages, but really keeping it in my heart. That became the most important thing that I did and do to this day to maintain health. Everything else is important. Everything else has to be there, but mm-hmm. that was critical for me. Um, maintaining communion with Christ through prayer and the Word, the, the discipline of meditation. That was the the center point for everything mm. to keep me healthy otherwise yeah i'm i think being open and honest is really good uh, you know i i don't have to be afraid what are people gonna think because i bought well, on some level i really don't care if people think something bad of me my, my insecurity is i don't want people to think that i've done something that i didn't do so if they think if they listen to my preaching and think i'm terrible that doesn't bother me mm. um but if they think i'm an open theist and i'm not well, that would drive me bananas. I, I, <laughs> That's I, I, bothersome. And again, it's it's an insecurity and it's a level of pride uh, that sometimes you know it manifests itself in that way. Where like oh, so, somebody thinks you know that I'm uh, somebody were to think like, wow, Joe doesn't spend any time with his kids. Like that would really bother me because mm-hmm. I do and I love my kids. But a lot of that is just pride saying I don't want you to think less of me. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So I still struggle with that. But but being open about it. And just saying, I'm, I'm not going to keep this a secret, takes the burden off. Oh, totally. So I can just, like, I can just say, yeah, nothing to hide. It's out there. Yeah. So even in the next book that's coming out, it's it's another collection of daily readings, patterned around uh, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in the introduction, I talk about this time in my life, and how these reflections were really crucial for me. But I, I go in there and I go into detail about my anxiety, my fears, uh, getting healthy, the doctor, the medication. I talk about everything in there because. I don't want, first of all, I don't want to lie and give people the impression, oh, I was able to get healthy by praying more. It was, yeah, a, it was yeah. a holistic endeavor. <laughs> and so I, I don't want to be a liar, but I also, it's very freeing to say, well, here's what really happened. Mm. Yeah, that's really good. What, what's the name of your book and when's it coming out? Just so people know and can get a hold of it when it's out. It's called Experiencing the Trinity and it'll come out in February of 2015. Awesome. Next year. Very cool. I'm looking forward to that. Um, what, like, with all that that's going on and, and kind of where everything's at, what is God teaching you personally right now? 
Like, what what do you feel like God's teaching you, whether it's through, you know, things that are happening in your ministry or just speaking to, to you kind of directly through the mm-hmm. Word and, and things like that? We've been uh, working through a series on pneumatology at Redeemer. And so we typically do a book of the Bible and then something thematic, and then we do a book of the Bible. So... We just finished up Exodus. That took us over a year. Right now we're doing pneumatology. After this, we'll do 1 Peter. Mm-hmm. So in in focusing on pneumatology, you know, you, you might think, like, that's good. And we're a Baptist church. And Baptists, you know, they're not, they're not always down with the Holy Spirit. So uh, this would be good for them. But it was really good for me. And what God has been teaching me throughout this whole thing is that he is intimately, experientially present and working in the life of his people collectively and individually uh, in, in such a way that it gives great courage, confidence, uh, contentment to know that you have the spirit and to know what his ministries are, how he fills, how he guides, how he convicts, how he teaches, um, how he revives, mm. all of that. So that's been really instrumental for me to, uh, it's been pushing me back towards uh, a a deeply experiential uh, understanding of the nature of communion with God. And then on a very practical level, he's been pushing me again and again on the area of organization and management of my time, the time that he gives me each day. I am not, uh, I'm a terrible administrator. And so uh, I've, I've never been strong in that. Things tend to fall through the cracks, so I rely on our secretary and other elders to manage a lot of those things. But, you know, a brother from church, he's a guy that we're raising up to uh, go into the ministry. He's a high, what we call a high kingly guy, really Mm. good at organization, administration systems and things like that. And he could just see me drowning in everything from email to tasks and responsibilities. (laughs) And so he just sat him too. Right? Yeah. (laughs) We're just not, that's not where our gifts are. Not our strength. But it's easy for me to just go, okay, well, I don't have to worry about that. That's not my gift. Yeah, yeah. And what this brother did was, is he challenged me. He said, listen, man, I want to help you get more organized and manage the work that God has given you better, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's a stewardship issue. God has given you these things to do, right? Yeah. So what do you have to do? Well, I have to preach. I have to write. I have to counsel. I have to disciple and all the other things. Uh, So, um, okay, instead of just throwing them on a calendar and trying to get it done, here's a way that you can be responsible for the things that God has given you to do. Mm. And so he introduced me to OmniFocus, which is an app for your Mac, your iPhone, your iPod, your iPad. And uh, that has been a very helpful tool for me to rework how I plan and schedule and approach the various projects and tasks that I have to do. So think getting things done uh, but as sort of a system, but built up and everything's online, everything's communicated with alerts and it's, uh, it's been a really big help. So the experiential aspect of communion with God through the Holy Spirit uh, personally, and then also organization and being a good steward of what God has given me through organization. That's great. Um, what, uh, what advice would you give uh, to whether it's young planters or somebody who's considering planting, getting ready to plant. Like, if you could give, like, kind of a, a bit of advice, what would your advice be? Strive to um, keep your heart, right? Like Proverbs teaches us. Mm. For from it flow the springs of life. In other words, maintain sweet and free communion with Jesus Christ. Uh, make sure that, that you are pursuing Him and that the results are 
are a humble godliness and a deep passion for God, his truth, and the church. So that very private aspect is, is absolutely essential. I would say make sure that you have people around you that will hold you accountable so that you are not a renegade pastor. Mm. Uh, a lot of us, not me, but a lot of us have highly entrepreneurial uh, capabilities. And it's easy for those of us that are entrepreneurial to kind of go our own way, do it our own do it at our own pace and leave other people in the dust and and we can get set up to be a king in our own right mm. and that's very dangerous so i would say make sure that you have people around you that will hold you accountable that have the freedom and the authority to speak into your life tell you to shut up tell you to repent to whom you will listen mm. uh, and then i would say make sure that you have a very clear vision for what the church that you are leading or starting is going to be about. And of course, this is going to be primarily a biblical vision or picture, but the way that you articulate it and the emphasis in your ministry have to be put forth in, in a crystal clear fashion, and I think in a winsome fashion. You have to have a very clear vision for what your ministry is about, what characterizes it, what it's not about, so that as you are speaking to your people and spreading the word, people know instinctively this is not for me. Mm. The commitment here is, is great. Or I'm all in. Or, wow, I'm not going to be able to bring my little uh, my own vision to this thing. They've right. clearly articulated This is it. where they're headed, yeah. So those, those are three things that I would encourage people uh, to do. Personal walk with the Lord. Uh, and there's many, many more. We could talk about wife, family, mm -hmm. uh, church partnership, theological fidelity, and all of that. But here I would just say... Um, Make sure that you are maintaining communion with Christ and developing, growing in godliness. Make sure that you have uh, leadership that you are accountable to and uh, who can speak into your life. And make sure that your vision is clear. That's good. That's really good. Um, I just wanted to ask uh, a little bit kind of of our story and you know, how I, I got in touch with you guys. I found Redeemer, ended up plugging in. At that point, I was feeling called to, to ministry and to church planting in some capacity. But I ended up getting plugged in with Redeemer, um, and uh, you guys really took me in right away. Um, so I wanted to add, have you tell a little bit of that story and like how you went about kind of raising me up, training me. Um, and then also, because I want other people to hear this, because I, in hindsight now, when I think about the time I was at Redeemer, I'll have moments in my ministry where something will happen. I'll be like, oh gosh, I'm sure I did this to Joe at some point. <laughs> and so talking about kind of your relationship with me in discipling and mentoring me and kind of what that was like and how yeah. you went about we actually call that a seth when uh, when <laughs> when somebody does something really stupid at redeemer now everybody oh he's got pulled a seth you know <laughs> no it, god for for whatever reason god has seen fit from the very beginning of of redeemer to bring leaders to us for us to help raise up and send out um you know we're a small church we've been around seven years but We've sent a church planter out to DeKalb. That church is a, a viable, it's a great church. Uh, Pastor uh, Jamie, he's um, a Southern Baptist, Acts 29 church plant. Uh, we've sent you, you are our second. And uh, out here, again, Southern Baptist, Acts 29. And now we're sending a third to Naperville. Tom, mm -hmm. he's just moved into the area. He was our first guest. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, just got, I just got a message about uh, on Instagram from a brother saying, oh, I love that podcast. I just oh, listened to Tom. And, and he goes, I'm in Tom's stage, so this is so cool. And good, so good. people are digging that. Great to hear. So people, and we've got others that want to go into ministry, that want to go into uh, church planting. So for whatever reason, God has brought those people to us. And 
we've always emphasized developing our leaders that are there. Mm-hmm. So we do what we can with what we have and the people that God has given us. And when you called up, you know, you were obviously a young, uh, on fire uh, Christian who who had a strong sense of calling to the ministry. And so we met, and it's it works the same with anybody. The, you know, we we talk. I try to figure out where this guy's at. And the stages are, I mean, you're, the way that it worked with you is how it's supposed to work with everybody. You immediately plugged in and became committed to the, ch- to the local church. You had a high commitment level. You, uh, you lo- clearly loved the Lord. Uh, if I gave you a book to read, you would read it. Uh, we could <laughs> talk. Well, that's a good test. <laughs> oh, this, I was, oh, man, maybe I should be a deacon. Okay, read this book and tell me what you think. And like, they just, um, they never get around they don't to complete it. Like, tasks, well, all right, yeah. well, that's a pretty good sign that I'm not going to yeah. entrust you with very much. So, you, uh, you know, there was that, uh, and then as we just spent a lot of time together, we, uh, I, I was able to see in you uh, calling, competency, and uh, we, we just knew, like, this is a guy that we want to support and get ready, and when God allows it, we'll, uh, we will send him out. So, for us, in your case, it was, it was earlier on in our history, mm. and we were able to know you really well. You were with us for a number of years. And it was, it was all very natural. The way that it works primarily at Redeemer now is for anybody to become a leader at Redeemer, first of all, they have to be a committed member of Redeemer, plugged into a community group. So it starts there. If yeah. they're not a member plugged into a community group, they're never going to be a leader. Yeah. So it starts there. Once we have people in our community groups that are showing leadership potential, the leader of the community group will let us know, hey, Seth is a guy that has great leadership potential. Uh, I've let him lead a few times. I see him ministering to people. And then we'll say, okay, invite Seth into Leadership Lab, which is our monthly gathering where we train people in preaching, teaching, and theology to be better ministers in their particular callings. So that involves our elders, our deacons, and then community group leaders and anybody else with potential that we've identified. So if somebody's going to be an elder or a deacon or a pastor or a church planter, they are going to be in Leadership Lab first. We see how they go there, how they develop, how they preach and teach. And then out of that pool of guys... We're able to say, all right, we've got a church planter here. We've got, a, we've got a pastor here. We've got a guy that we might want to bring on staff someday here. Mm. So that's kind of our general, that's our general way of, of working through it on a really simple level. That's really cool. So, and, and I want you to speak freely on this question because I really want people to, to glean from it. Um, and I don't mind talking about my, my flaws and my issues at all. So feel free to answer very honestly. About this. Uh, but I wanted to ask, like, what were the areas... With me, as you were raising me up as a leader, what were areas you needed to hone in on, and, and what did that look like? Besides the fact that you were a psychological basket case, uh, <laughs> no, that's accurate. Uh, that's uh, that's fair. That's why we're friends. <laughs> we're the same person. Um, the, the, honestly, the, the the main problem with you is your youth, mm. and it's it's. It, I mean, it's not that youth is, that is bad. Absolutely true. It's just like that <laughs> with. Being younger, there is less experience and less time, and so there are there are hurdles that you have to make, and there's development that has to happen. That because you're not older, it hasn't happened yet, and so that becomes an issue. Uh, Just lack of experience, right? Yeah, totally. And, and so there there is the youth factor, and so even when we sent you, even when Acts 29 approved you, they said the hardest thing for you is going to mm-hmm. be that you're a young guy. And so people here, I got to know the first place you can get a no 
initially oh, with yeah. X29. <laughs> Why? Because of my age. That's right. You're way too young. I didn't, yeah, I didn't even get past the first. There's like one initial hoop, and I immediately got yeah, caught up yeah. in that. But well, they were very gracious and then let me You fail continue. well. I mean, yeah, you're well, just like <laughs> the very, you don't want to mess around. You fail at the very first I, yeah. chance that well, you Well, you might get. as well. If you're going to fail, you might as well fail do strong. it quick and, yeah. and, and know. <laughs> yeah, and, and again, like Axe 29 had to look very carefully at you, very closely at you, and they saw the same things we saw. I mean, great theological, biblical aptitude, a uh, clear sense of calling, uh, competency, character, and, the, and your sending church, they were all in. And that's why I think we're seeing such good fruit in the ministry that you're doing here. Thank you. So your, 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 your age was, uh, was an issue. And then probably, and it's not an age thing because there, there are people uh, in this as well, but it's just the sense of, of promptness and schedule time, like not being late, being on time, oh, yeah. not making people late. <laughs> That is immaturity. I'll just you know, yeah. <laughs> and that, well, that, that's a part of it, and you know, it's it's one it's one mark of immaturity. Like I'm immature in my own ways, and I've got my own issues that drive people crazy. But I'm one of those guys that like I want people to be on time. I'm going to be on time, uh, and I want people to be. I don't want to waste our time. Let's make sure that we're doing it. But I mean, I mean, goodness, if those are the two things that I have to point to, like, well, Seth was late a lot, and and still is late a lot uh if seth is late a lot and uh he's young still working on that it's like those are man i wish those were my two big problems I, well thank you for your grace in that i appreciate that but I was, I was gonna say too I, the reason i brought that up is like i want especially younger planters to hear that of like that's i mean th- those are factors those are things i think it's easy to think like if i'm a strong theologian if i've got all these ducks in a row it's like i'm good it's like nobody's good out of the gate. Like there's always going to be stuff to work on um, and there's got to be a plan to work on it. Right. Right. You know, there's got to be a way that people are able to speak in and and minister to those things. And you got to be teachable. Um, And, and when you're leading the church plant or the church, the people that are going to come in, like you are, I think you're an easy, uh, you were an easy uh, example for us to kind of talk about, but you're going to get a lot of people who are really going to struggle you know, you're going to have people that come in and they love the church, they love what's going on, but man, they think that the way that you do communion is so, I'm writing a lot on that right now, is so backwards <laughs> and it becomes a sticking point for them. And so whether it's theological or practical or a personality issue, it, it just takes a lot of patience and grace to say, hey, I have to walk with this brother and teach this brother and be compassionate but strong so that they will finally get it. Just like God does with us. He's not just right. gracious in that he teaches us, but in that it takes him so long to teach hard-hearted and hard-headed people like us. Absolutely. So that's just a normal thing to expect as you're raising up leaders as strong as they can be. There are going to be issues that you still have to address yeah. and be patient and it's going to take with. time. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. Well, and so people hear it like we – it's not like we went out here. You know, We started our efforts to plant Ransom City here in Evanston. And then we don't talk anymore. Like we meet up regularly. Yep. I still get coaching from you and need to. Mm-hmm. Um, like that's still a huge part of what we do as a church plant. Right. Like I need to continue to be mentored and coached through things and work on. I mean, even you're talking about now. You know, I still struggle with with uh, being disorganized and promptness and things like that. So we got to continue to hone in on that stuff. So that's one of my bits of advice too. Is like that should never stop. You should always have. Yeah. You know, network of people that are speaking in and instructing you. Yeah, I have uh, coaches. Doesn't matter if you're leading other people. You need yeah, to be or how yourself. long you've been at it. Right. Exactly. Uh, I have I have a coach, um, I'm, I'm, and I get a lot of input from guys, and uh, and I defer to guys. Like I don't know what to do here. Help me. Give me. Help me yeah. think through this. And 
Um, and they'll spot my weaknesses and the elders will spot my weaknesses. And this happens. They'll say like, I think you need to change something here. Mm. And I'm just, okay, let's, let's work on it then yeah. because uh, I'm not seeing that. So obviously it's a problem. Right. When you're in trouble and when you're sunk is when you're not listening anymore. Yeah, right. When you're unteachable. Yeah. When you've you know, shut out those people that should be able to speak in. Um, so what, uh, what do you guys at Redeemer have on the horizon as far as church planting? Like what's the next step? What's going on? Because you guys are a church planting church. Right, yeah. You planted two so far. Yeah, the working third. Working on a third. Yeah, Tom, uh, he's got his core group going. Um, he, uh, he's... He's moved into the city of Naperville. They are having their first big event at uh, in Naperville. It's a big like festival. They'll have a booth. They're giving out Bibles. They're um, giving out water, doing evangelism, and all of that stuff. So they're in their core group phase. No public worship yet. They're going to wait till they have forty people. Then they'll start their worship. So that's going really well, and uh, God's been already blessing that work. That's really exciting. Uh, in the future. We really do it in terms of who has God given us that mm-hmm. wants to plant and we think can plant. And right now, uh, I know of two people that I think, one person for sure, that, is, that will plant, uh, God willing. Um, he's going to, uh, he's a young professional, married. He and his wife are solid believers. And he has long talked about his sense of calling to church planting. But he's been focusing on his marriage and, and work and now he's getting ready to go to seminary, do that for four years and then, or three years, whatever it is, and then uh, we'll bring him on to take him through church planting stuff and get him going. Again, God willing. And then we have uh, two more guys that are clearly called to pastoral ministry, and it may be uh, getting them ready and sending them out to pastor somewhere or to lead somewhere on staff at a church or maybe church planting, or it could, they could wind up with us on staff. You know, who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, who knows what will happen? So right now we're looking at, uh, at a handful of people that, um, that have a clear sense, uh, that have a compelling uh, sense of calling, and they have the right gifts. But we really work at it a person at a time. If we didn't have anybody, then we would be thinking, well, we would like to do something, but until that happens, yeah, yeah. we're not really sure. That's cool. Um, what, how have you guys kind of cultivated that uh, culture at Redeemer of being a church that plants churches? Because I think... That might, for some people, that might be a new concept of like, or they're, they've maybe took, taken over at a church, they're pastoring a church now, that they're trying to instill that culture. Um, what, how does that work for you guys? Well, it's easier when you are a church plant, right? <laughs> you, we were a church plant. That's how we got started, and we want to start more churches, and we want to help revitalize churches. And we've done that as well. We've worked with other churches that were kind of in a bad way and helped them to reorient and, and to relaunch. So... Um, it's easier because we started that way, mm-hmm. and we said once we started, we want to start a church out in DeKalb, Illinois, where the college is. We just had a burden for that because we knew a lot of people there um, through our first church plant in particular. And when God brought Pastor Jamie Page to be a part of Redeemer, uh, we saw where he was. We saw his gifts. Um, I took him out to DeKalb, and he was, I mean, God just said, this is your city. This is where you're going to move and live. And Jamie dropped in, just him and his wife. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, that's hard. That's an, I'm looking forward to that. I want to have Jamie on here sometime, too, to talk yeah. about Oh, that. Jamie's that awesome. And alive. So, uh, uh, yeah, we've just, you know, we, God brought us Jamie. And then God brought us more people. And I think it, from that point, word kind of gets around because, well, I blog and I'm online. And so people read the stories of how we do things. And so it's, it's, it's not uncommon for people to say, how do you structure a liturgy for worship? Or how do you raise up leaders? 
Um, what advice would you give for church planters? Not that we have all the answers, but that we at least openly talk about those yeah. things. So, so a uh, lot of it's just putting it at the front end of Yeah, we talk a lot about it, and we put it out there to our church. We talk about it. We've talked about planting a church in DeKalb from the pulpit from day one, mm-hmm. and then we did it, and then we just started talking more about it. And so our people know that this is something that we believe in and want to do, and they're in. So like Tom, you know, Tom's going, and he's got, I think, uh, you know, 10 of... You know, ten really strong families from Redeemer that are going to go with him uh, to plant his church in Naperville, cool. and we, we just tell him, "Hey, if, if you guys feel called to go with Tom, go with Tom. We, we we love that. That's going to be great." And you know, he's he's taking some strong, strong fam- families with him that we know are going to really build a solid core uh, for uh, Cross of Christ Fellowship. That's great, very cool. So a lot of it's visibility. Mm-hmm. Which you guys did with us as well. I mean, as we were getting ready to to head out, um, there was a you know constant conversation. You brought us up front when we were leaving to to pray over us and everything. Yeah, we're gonna do a pulpit exchange at some point. Yeah, we've we got to figure that out. Put that on the calendar for sure. That'll be cool. Um, well, thank you, Joe, again for for coming on. Um, again, just to tell you guys, one, thanks for listening. We we've seen more and more people subscribing, so thank you, thank you for spreading the word about our podcast. Uh, we we really appreciate you guys. Um, again, our site is ransomcitychurch.org. You can go there to find out more about us. Um, also, that's where you can get in touch with us. If you click on the contact tab, you can send us a question. We'd love to hear from you guys. On top of that, um, I do want to say to you guys, we want to plant more churches. Um, so if you're interested in church planting, please get in touch with us. Um, I, I think it'd be fantastic and, and possible to connect with some of you guys about planting a church through Ransom City. So please, you know, if you're interested, um, don't be strangers. Get in touch with us. We want to plant more churches. We want to see more people meet Jesus through the planting of more churches. So please get in touch with us. Um, Joe, thanks for coming on. This was great. Yeah, we'll, man. We'll good do time. this again for sure. All um, right. I'll bring the cigars. Awesome. <laughs> well, good talking to you guys. Uh, hope you enjoyed and have a good one.